Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is my assignment this morning. Um, the Middle East has been a very turmoil area, of course, since Israel became a nation in 1948, and even long before that. There's a record of ceasefires within 25 years of Israeli and Arab forces, and here are the results. June of 1948, the United Nations ordered a ceasefire on June 11th to end a war that followed Israel's declaration of independence. Fighting broke out again on July 7th, less than a month later. July 1948, a second truce took effect on July 18th, but only lasted until October. February 1949, Egypt and Israel signed an armistice agreement on February 24th. Similar pacts were signed by Israel with other warring powers in the following months. The truce lasted seven years before war exploded again. November 1956, Egypt on one hand and Israel, Britain and France on the other accepted a United Nations ceasefire agreement on November 6th in the Sinai Desert, specifically the contention over the Sinai Peninsula. Troops were based in the region to guard that truce until they withdrew at Egypt's request in May of 1967 before the Six-Day War, which Israel was outnumbered 10 to 1 and handily defeated her enemies. June 1967, August 1970, March 26, 1980. It goes on and on and on, and yet they were not able to come to a lasting peace agreement. These are daunting statistics, to say the least. Nothing anyone has done in our world for millennia has brought true and lasting peace. All it's really shown us is that man is incapable of solving his own problems. When President Obama was in office, he wrote many executive orders to further his agenda. Then, when President Trump was elected, he wrote executive orders to override Obama's executive orders, and then wrote executive orders of his own to further his agenda. Now, President Biden, on his first day in office, wrote executive orders to override President Trump's executive orders, reinstate President Obama's executive orders, and plans more executive orders of his own. It's a seesaw battle in our government to push an agenda so that everyone will have peace. But no one is prevailing. No matter how much you try, no matter how much I try and force the issue of peace, it will never happen through political means, through your job, through your relationships, through your finances, through your gender identity, through your career path, through your skill set, through your sexuality, through your social media presence, and on and on it goes. As Jesus continues his kingdom manifesto in these Beatitudes, we see a continued progression that distinctly marks the Christian life. The way to know God, the way to be saved from wrath and to fellowship with him. We see what it means to be blessed, which we have known in the, in, in the previous weeks, which means happy or how fortunate. And now we come to blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So what does Jesus mean when he says it's a blessed thing to be a peacemaker? What does Jesus mean when he says you'll be called a son or a daughter of the living God? And we'll explore that in depth as we go. So with each beatitude, 
What Jesus is doing is he's driving another nail into the coffin of a false understanding of salvation or what it means to be accepted by God. Inside of this coffin is a dead corpse called religion. The false understanding that you can be saved without being changed, without being conformed to the will of God. If the attitudes and actions of, the, of that person are like that of unbelievers, then rigor mortis has set in. That person is nothing more than a walking corpse disguised as one who says he or she is a Christian, but they bear no fruit in their lives of what that truly means. Jesus leaves no room for a false sense of salvation within these beatitudes. These words are hard words, but if taken by faith, they are life giving words. The world is filled with self-help books on how to improve, improve your appearance, how to improve your business, how to improve your marriage, your ability to influence, how to improve your marketability, how to improve your social media platform. We're inundated with information that teaches us to look to self for the answer and bring peace. From Tony Robbins to Joel Osteen's to finding your best life now, but folks, if this is our best life now, we're in serious trouble. But there is a better way to live. There's a better form of life which Jesus Christ wants to give to each of us. A life of purpose, peace, joy, and love. A life that is centered not on ourselves, but on the cross of Jesus Christ. These beatitudes fly in the face of a counterfeit salvation. And here, Jesus describes someone who has not gained by winning, but gained by losing. Losing their lives, giving up rights to themselves for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. These Beatitudes describe someone that was at war with God and with self and with others, but has come to peace. By faith through Jesus Christ. Because the sole purpose of happiness and joy of that person is a relationship with Jesus. These Beatitudes describe what happens when Jesus breaks in and rescues us from ourselves. The object of our affection, our purpose in life, the reason we get out of bed in the morning is to enjoy and to do the will of our Creator. You can think of these Beatitudes like stair steps to a higher knowledge of God and a proper view of self. The difference is that these Beatitudes aren't things that you achieve. Rather, it is what God achieves for you. Remember that. Jesus then begins to take us those of us who are Christ followers, up these steps of the Beatitudes of life within the heart. First, that person becomes poor in spirit. God pulls the veil off the eyes and you see yourself in proper perspective. You see yourself in light of who God is and in light of who you are. You're poor, you're bankrupt. In fact, the Greek word tokos uh, that Jesus uses for the word poor describes poverty in the most severe terms. It describes somebody who is a beggar who has to grovel for anything they can get. Well, then all of a sudden, you, Jesus goes to the next beatitude. You are blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
You, you begin to attend your own spiritual funeral. There's a death that takes place to self. And it's there that Jesus fills you with his spirit, cleanses you, forgives you, comforts you, invigorates you, cleanses you, washes you, injects peace into your life. And you walk in happiness because now you truly know God. And then the next step is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness means strength under control. It's like a 2,000-pound horse that could easily throw off and trample his jockey, his master. But the meek are the ones who stay in quiet submission to their master. And then you climb the next step, which is you, you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's like chips and salsa at a Mexican restaurant. You can't have just one. You experience freedom from justifying yourself and your existence because you've experienced the justification of God by faith. By faith. No longer do you feel the need to qualify your existence because Jesus has done it for you through his precious blood. And now you're hungry for more. And the child of God wants to grow in more righteousness is hungry for it, but at the same time is satisfied by it. And then you see how much God has been merciful. Blessed are the merciful. How he chose, listen, chose to be scandalous against himself and give you and I what we don't deserve, which is mercy. And what does that do? It produces a purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a holiness, a belonging to God, where you take constant inventory of your life to make sure there's nothing unclean, nothing dirty, so that you can keep your fellowship with God close. The other day, I accidentally, I, I committed the cardinal sin. I was giving my son, Sage, a hug, and I stepped on his pristine white Puma sneakers. To which... He immediately pushed me away of my warm embrace as a father and began to examine the holiness of his sneakers. To Sage, these sneakers are holy. They are without spot or blemish, and he will do whatever it takes to make sure that they glow. So, I, yeah. <laughs> Just think of it as an illustration. When you want to embrace the warmth of the world and they step on your soul, you push it away. That was pretty weak, but we'll let it fly. Anyway, so naturally it follows that after a person becomes pure in heart and see God, they become what God is. 
a peacemaker, which is my assignment here today. Blessed are the peacemakers and they shall be called sons or daughters of God. So what does Jesus mean to be a peacemaker? What does that look like? How does it behave? It describes a person whom God has made peace with. It starts there. It describes a person that understands they were at war with God and Jesus came and saved them and justified them to a new life with God. This means that the Christian life is a response to what God has done for me. Not what I do for God. It is a response to what God has done for me. That person in turn is at peace with God, is in fellowship with him, at peace with himself or herself because of what Christ has done. I'm no longer trying to get God's approval by attempting some futile form of self-righteousness by my performance or my own merit. I'm at peace with God because he made peace with me and chose me on the basis of his righteousness and his merit. Because God made peace with me, I am now at peace. I no longer fear being banished for eternity because Jesus secured my place and standing with God on the basis of his grace. My natural response at that point is to invite others into that same peace with God through Jesus Christ by faith. It is a supernaturally natural response to God to be a peacemaker. That is the definition of, the, of a peacemaker, the one that Jesus is describing here. It's not someone who devises ways to make people get along better, although that's part of it. But the primary concern of a peacemaker is based on the work that God has done in my heart and is that people know God that they can experience him and his true joy and peace, his goodness and grace. Romans 5, 1 through 2 puts it like this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Galatians three twenty six says, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. Ephesians 2, 14 and set through 17 says, For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or the, or the hostility, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself one new man, so making peace. During, <coughs> excuse me, Somebody said something about coffee. Mm. During the French War, there was a train carrying dispatches to, the, to headquarters. And he was compelled to go over 60 miles over a very rough track. And to reach its destination within an hour, it had to move quick. This information was important. The engineer was the bearer of the dispatches. And his wife and child were riding in the coach. Every moment the train moved quickly, it, it almost pitched them, pitched the train over the embankment over a small bridge. And as it rolled from side to side, leaping at times almost in the air, rushing past stations, the few people inside held their breath and often cried out with terror as they sped along. 
There was one on that train who knew nothing of their fears, and that was the child of the engineer. Happy as a bird, she laughed and she giggled, and she was not afraid. So they looked at her and they said, Why are you not afraid? of this terror we're going through. And she said, well, it's easy. My father is at the engine. A little later, the engineer came into the car to cheer up his wife as he wiped the great drops of sweat from his face. The child leaped into his arms and laid her head upon his bosom as happy and as peaceful when they were at home. Isn't that just like our heavenly father to take us down some rough tracks in life to show people around us that we have nothing to worry about. And I think the greatest witness that we have to a, a, a lost and a dying world is the fact that when chaos is happening all around us, that we simply rest in peace. And at that moment, we become peacemakers to the world. You know, there are people watching your life. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And the more peaceful you are, the more powerful of a witness it is. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, peace or shalom was the Jewish was a common Jewish greeting. And according to Kirk, it's now the common Presbyterian meeting uh, greeting. It, it meant <laughs> it meant more than just the absence of conflict. Get this. It expressed a desire that one greeted will have all the righteousness and goodness that God can give. And the deepest meaning of the term is God's highest good to you. And in addition, it must be noticed that Christ doesn't say, blessed are those who love peace, but blessed are the peacemakers. Everybody loves the concept of peace, but very few are willing to be active in creating it. It is impossible to have peace without God's righteousness. Peace without righteousness is just truce without sin or with sin. The pursuit of true peace often results in trouble. Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Christ, the Prince of Peace, realized that to have true peace, there must at times be conflict. Christ died to reconcile God and man and people with one another and often a peacemaker is somebody who comes between two warring parties and takes the blows from each side in order to create peace. The word peace in Hebrew, again, is the word shalom. It's named Sophia's middle name is shalom, in case any of you didn't know that. This is an interesting word. Uh, excuse me, I lost my place. A peacemaker is one who strives at every opportunity to also make peace with others. He works to solve disputes, erase divisions, to reconcile differences and eliminate strife, to silence tongues and to build relationships, especially in the body of Christ. You see, because peace is a precious commodity that must be stewarded well. This is why Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians. There were two ladies in this church, in the Philippian church, Euodia and Syntyche, who were in conflict with one another. Their hearts seemed to be in the right place in their gospel work, but they couldn't agree on anything. Nothing was getting done. So Paul, a prisoner in chains, 
writes Philippians, writes the letter to the Philippians to step in and offer perspective and reconcile these two ladies within the church. Paul was a peacemaker stepping into conflict. The Corinthian church was a messed up church. They were immoral. They celebrated and tolerated sin. They played favorites over who was really in charge. They compromised their walk with the Lord. They were suing each other in Roman courts in front of unbelievers. They were getting drunk at communion. They were sexually promiscuous. They were greedy. They treated the Holy Spirit like a joint to get high off of. And to top it off, they tolerated the sexual relations between a man and his stepmother inside the church. No, this is not Jerry Springer. This is the Bible. Paul's letter to the Corinthians was a scathing rebuke of their foolishness. Paul's letter was harsh, but very calculated. Very calculated. And he wrote that letter to give them a chance to repent and to get back in fellowship with God before his next visit to Corinth. And apparently they did, because Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, specifically in chapter 7, indicates that they took action. They were remorseful, they were repentful, and they made things right. Paul commends and encourages them at that point. And rather than being passive, Paul was a peacemaker that stepped into the conflict and spoke truth. And as a result, the Corinthian church was back on track and made peace with God. There was an old story of a young soldier who was a Christian. After the lights were out in the barracks, he would slip down on his knees by his bunk in order to pray. One night, the sergeant, who had little use for anything religious or Christian, threw his very muddy boots at the young man, striking him in the side of his head. The next morning, the sergeant found his boots beside his bed, all clean and polished to perfection. The sergeant was so impressed and so overcome by the young soldier's action, he eventually came to faith in Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you. Who are you in conflict with? Have you, who have you not reconciled with? Who have you not told the hard thing to? Who at this moment are you in conflict with that you know you need to be a peacemaker? A peacemaker is willing to say the hard thing, even at a cost, to tell the truth, even though there is a cost involved. It costs Jesus his life. If I avoid such confrontation in my life, then I'm not a peacemaker. I'm a peacekeeper. There's a big difference. Jesus came to this planet and spoke the truth in love. He didn't avoid conflict. He stepped into the middle of it to make peace between us and God. And as a result, it cost him his life, but it produced for us a salvation a great salvation. And our pride gets in the way, doesn't it? We're more concerned about sometimes being right rather than humbling ourselves and taking responsibility even though it wasn't our fault. Or we're not willing to do the hard thing and confront in love because it's uncomfortable. The longer you put this off, the more your resentment will grow and the more unhappy 
you will be. It is said that bitterness and resentment is like drinking poison and wishing someone else dies. It just doesn't work. In fact, the scripture says this, all this is from God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. So what is the result of being a peacemaker according to Jesus in this beatitude? It means that I am identified as a son or a child of God. I have a special relationship, a sonship, a daughtership with God himself. Children resemble their parents in many ways, right? And if I'm truly a peacemaker, as a result of God's transformation in my heart through the gospel, I'm naturally behaving or being like my heavenly father. I have become God-like in my witness and character, displaying the attributes that he downloaded into my heart and my soul. Being a peacemaker doesn't make me a child of God. Being a child of God makes me a peacemaker. Do you see the difference? Jesus says it this way. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You catch that? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's Matthew 5, 43 through 45. So the goal is never to be a peacemaker. The goal is to become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, which at that moment will transform me into a peacemaker. There's an interesting passage of scripture where Jesus describes this very point. It says in Luke 11, 27 through 28, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you. And the breasts which have nursed you. But he said, but Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus was speaking before that on how demons behave and their mode of operation, if you will, and how his power casts them out. And if he casts them out, then the kingdom of God has come among you, he says. And out of sheer awe, you could see this woman standing there listening to Jesus speak. And in sheer awe, she was basically saying, oh, how privileged and how blessed and how fortunate Mary was to nurse you and to raise you. She was identifying privilege as giving birth and raising the son of God. No doubt that is a huge privilege. And no doubt Mary paid a huge price to be in that position. And in a sense, you hear the enviable position she wishes she could have, right? But Jesus redirects her thinking on what privilege is. He responds as to what really makes a person blessed more than Mary's physical birth of the Messiah. He was saying, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That puts you on a higher level. 
You and I are in a higher and greater position because we have received the gospel. We've received the implanted word of God. And we keep it because we obey his commandments because his, his spirit causes us to. Don't miss this. If you want to be more of a peacemaker in your life, then become more of a child of God. It's real simple. So peacemaking is a key identifier of someone who is really, truly saved, truly born again, truly transformed by the Spirit of God. If you are not a peacemaker, if I am not a peacemaker, either we are not Christians or we are disobedient Christians who don't know and understand the heart of God at all. At all. If I am continually disruptive, divisive, and argumentative, and I, then I have good reason to doubt my relationship with God altogether. God's offspring are all peacemakers. We know this because we look at Jesus and we make peace the way he did. God is the one who determines who his children are, and he has determined that they are humble, they show remorse over sin, they are gentle, they seek righteousness, they're merciful, they're pure in heart, and they're a peacemaker. In closing, Louis Zamperini was a U.S. World War II pilot. And on May 27, 1943, his bomber crashed into the ocean, killing eight of the 11 men aboard. Along with three other survivors, Zamperini drifted in the Pacific Ocean for 47 days, surviving on rainwater and a few fish and birds that they were able to catch. He reached land and was immediately captured by Japanese military. He was held in captivity in various prisoners, prisoner of war camps. And during the, his years of imprisonment, he was continually subjected to harsh and severe beatings by prison guard Mutsushiro the Bird Watanabe, who was later determined to be one of the most notorious, ruthless war criminals of World War II and of all time. Following the war, Zamperini had nightmares about strangling his former captors and began drinking heavily, trying to forget those experiences as a prisoner of war. Following his conversion uh, to Christianity at a Billy Graham crusade, Zamperini traveled back to Japan after the war and met with every one of those who tortured him and he forgave them face to face. His nightmares ceased and he lived a full life until his death at the age of 97. Such a profound impact on her life. Actress Angelina Jolie directed a film about his life called Unbroken. At the bottom of the live stream page, you'll see a picture of Angelina Jolie and Louis Zamperini. And you could just see in the picture how much she adored him. Jesus came and he was the victim of our sin, of our rebellion, of our anger. But he chose to bear the burden of our sin as though it were his fault. And through his cross, he was our peacemaker so that we could be reconciled to God and to others. Truly blessed are the peacemakers, for truly they are the sons and the daughters 
of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for making peace with us. Lord, I look back on my own life and I see what a what an awful enemy I was. And yet you came and you reached down out of heaven and you transformed my my stony heart. Thank you, Lord, for being our greatest peacemaker. Thank you for going to that cross and reconciling us to you. Now, Lord, help us reconcile the world to you, the world around us, beginning in Rock Hill. And Lord, identify us as your sons and daughters. Help us to just simply be children of God. Transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.